Let's go mother and shopping, y'all. <laughs> this will be the new standard that we open every single episode with, with Andrew dropping an F-bomb. <laughs> I know the last one had an F-bomb in it, too. Yep, I'll just have my bleep button ready. You know, one thing that we should mention, housekeeping detail about these podcasts is we record them a little bit ahead of time, and then the order they get released is kind of up to your uh genius intuition let's call it that sure genius intuition yes. yeah because like because uh, i noticed that there were two that weren't exactly in the same order and the other thing i noticed is very important although this could get who knows when this episode is going to get released exactly but in the last episode i said i was just getting like yes which was yesterday the day we're recording this i feel like we're in like a christopher nolan movie or something but yeah. yesterday uh, before the day we were recording this, I said, I just got my world's read out from last year and I'm like wicked out of shape. However, at the date people are listening to it, that was no longer true. And I'm in considerably, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm in considerably better shape. Are now, you worried now, about my your luck, pipe major gonna... watching that and being like, wait yeah. a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Guys from the guys from the band occasionally listen to this. And I just want you to know, <laughs> Uh, well, I was not in good shape at an embarrassingly late date, it was not as embarrassing as the date the podcast actually came out. Now, with my right. luck, this episode is going to be released like the Thursday, like the day before the Worlds. Yeah. With my luck. Like, I'm, I got to start thinking about learning yeah, my tunes. <laughs> yeah, I better start thinking about popping in the old band read. Anyway, just so everyone knows, that's, the, uh, that's what we're dealing with here. So anyway, yeah. chapter four, time to go shopping. Yes. Um, we open up with a quote from Benjamin Franklin in which he says, the best investment is in the tools of one's own trade. You think Benjamin Franklin I have no problem. There are so many Benjamin Franklin quotes that you kind of go, ha ha, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, he was either like, well, he, he was a brilliant guy, wasn't he? Must have been. Um it, the the my favorite legends about him are that they wouldn't let him write the Declaration of Independence because they were worried he'd sneak too many jokes in there, right? Which makes yeah, exactly. me wish he'd been the guy. Which makes it hilarious that they then selected Thomas Jefferson, you mm. know, super super dry. Although not really, he Thomas Jefferson like he wrote some pretty nice satire, uh, satire in his career. And like, you know, they, they were also, they were also viciously funny in how they criticized each other constantly during the process of, uh, mm. you know, constructing, you know, yeah. basically, I mean, the number one, the number one government in the world. You know what I mean? I just said oh, that to try, try and trigger. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, but they were, they were, they were vicious. Yeah. And like the things that they said about each other. So they were all pretty funny, I guess. You had yeah. to be. You can't take yourself too seriously and like, you know, forge unif unifying documents. I say you, 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 gotta, you can't you gotta, ever you take yourself too seriously, regardless of what you're doing. Yeah. So what are we talking about again? So we're talking about how Benjamin Franklin oh, wanted ben the quote, national yeah. bird to be a turkey instead of a bald eagle. Um, but we're yeah. also talking about what kinds of stuff we get to buy. Which I've got no problem buying stuff for bagpiping. Let me tell you right now, um, it's kind of a constant That's problem. True, although, actually, 
is this chapter, I mean, you maybe get to buy a couple things, but it's also for, for the um, bagpipe consumerists. Is it a, mm. maybe this chapter is a bit of a disappointment? Yeah, well, when we get to some of the lists of what not to buy, I'll enjoy telling you how many infractions I've made against that list. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's do it. All right. Give me, uh, give so, me what you got. Yeah, let's open up with, uh, we're getting into the right frame of mind here. The first step toward achieving our goal is a tidy and distraction-free space to practice in. Yeah. So starting there, yes. you, you say distractions are the junk food of focus. So yes. I'll tell you, for me personally, maybe to get the ball rolling on that, Andrew, right now, I'm very fortunate that like where I'm recording from right now is actually a shed in my backyard that over the last few years I've fixed up as my workspace. And it it's like my man yeah. shed too, you know, so I get to practice out here. It's very convenient for me. My pipes are always out. Nobody, nobody, um, nobody out here. It's just me. But it used to be that uh, my best place to practice was in my truck uh, with practice channel, obviously. I'd hop out of my truck for the piping, but there was nowhere for me at home. <laughs> Absolutely nowhere. And so the best thing I could do was just always have a practice chanter in my car, you know, and just practice when I was out working. So, you know, where you find a space, I, you know, it, it might be different for all kinds of people. It might be that the, your local park is your space, but, but what can we, what can we say about trying to avoid distractions? Man, it's like, so, it's such a key, it's such a key ingredient to really being successful is uh, mm -hmm. you have to find a place where when push comes to shove, you can focus. Um, mm -hmm. So I, this, the, the dojo cave is this mysterious room with no windows that I just yeah. kind of stumbled across uh, last time. Uh, Carl Donnelly, the, you know, the secret dojo, what do they call those guys? You know, he's like a the, secret. The, he's he's the, secretly the does actual, all the power the behind the work. throne. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. He's sort of the hand to the King, you know, wait a minute. No, mm -hmm. that came across wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, no, but anyway, he moved, he decided to move, uh, to France. So when that happened, I decided to move the office to like, you know, someplace small and, uh, just all I needed is just a square box. I was also watching a lot of the Casey Neistat vlogs and like his space was so cool. And I like, I wanted a cool space like that. So anyway, I found like mm. this cool room. Um, I think, see those bricks they're painted over, but I'm pretty sure those must've been put down like significantly before the civil war. Right. there. Yeah. Speaking of 1776, I think this, this right. place is like the first ever, uh, yeah. studio in, in Troy, New yeah. York was like, you know, maybe I'm not quite sure if it was a big deal in 1776, but certainly by the 1800s, Troy, New York is like, like that. Those are chunks of the original Plymouth rock right there. <laughs> yeah. Could be. Um, but, uh, fun fact, Troy was like the richest city in North America or like the second richest city in the world or something at some point per capita. Oh. Was it not anymore? Hmm. Tell you that much. Yeah. Uh, collars, Troy made collars and yeah, huh. like there would have been a lot of, there would have been a lot of commerce passing through Troy because Troy is kind of like where the Hudson river kind of mm. comes to an end. Uh, and the Erie canal sort of begins nearby, but they didn't have the Erie canal back then. So like, yeah. you know, so all the lumber would have probably come through this area. That's a good point. And other natural resources, uh, in order to make its way to other places. But I digress. What were we talking about? Ah, mm. uh, yes. That's where my office it, is. It's on point. Yeah. At some point we'll get around to talking about 
you know what we're talking about. But uh, but even in here with no windows and it's all set up exactly for operating the business. Even in here, I really struggle with distraction because my phone still works in here, and mm -hmm. so does my internet. So uh, so when things get serious, you you have to get serious about um, consciously eliminating all distractions. I have a yeah. little bit of a checklist. I have a little bit of a checklist that I can follow, like when I really need to discipline myself to get things done. And, uh, you know, and it'll all depend on what exactly I need, but, you know, cr closing out all those browser tabs, making sure all the chat apps are exited out of, um, you can physically turn off your phone and then, you know, you only, only turn on what you absolutely need to focus. And then if we're talking about practicing the bagpipes, usually you don't need the internet for that for the actual good, um, intense practice. So you can just power off your devices and then get down to work and actually get the practicing done. But you really have to have that. And so many pipers that we've come across that that's just an ingredient that they haven't figured out and it's not going to work out well for them until they do, you know, yeah. like my, my kids, like you'd be surprised. Oh, my kids come in and bother me a lot or my pets come in and bother me a lot. It's like, yeah. wait, you can't, you can't figure out how to practice without a pet bothering you. Hmm. Like this is a big problem. You know, this is a way bigger problem than, you know, the fact that you have a bunch of crossing noises or, you know, uh, that you're, you're struggling to memorize. I mean, it's like, you gotta, you, we have to figure out where we can get that practice time undistracted, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. So there's a, gotta figure the that out. There's a sentence in here that I'm trying to find right now that I just thought was like a lovely little piece of writing that you say something like feed and water your kids, feed and water your pets and feed and water yourself. I think uh, it's this nice, feed, uh, like feed and water your spouse. Does it not? Yeah. I thought it said self, but maybe it says spouse. <laughs> Either way, it's a yeah. great sentence. Well written. Uh, hang on. But I, I do like on, on the note of, having a practice space, I appreciated that like point number two in your list of suggestions for setting up your space is put a sign on the door. Partly because for those of us who might be kind of in um, spatial poverty, maybe there aren't a lot of options, you know, the bedroom can be your dedicated practice space if it needs to be. A sign on the door can go a long way in saying like, for these next 20 minutes, this is my dedicated space practice space you know and then outside of those yeah. 20 minutes it can be another you know it can be the kitchen or whatever else it needs to be yeah yep um and 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 yeah you did mention turning your phone all the way off or using airplane mode um etc because you know we need to have our uh our tuning app out <sighs> i was just doing that i'm not for falling you, for it i'm not falling for it <laughs> um and then, uh, oh, there, there it is. Act well, that's not the sentence, though. But you do, point number seven on that list is uh, to feed yourself. And I, I might suggest that that's something like, um, something like uh, a stand-in for a larger idea, which is simply take care of your other needs. So, like, feed yourself might also mean, mm -hmm. and use the restroom, you know, and, you know, whatever else you need that's not, so that you're not being distracted by other stuff is the idea, yeah. right? Yes. Okay. Uh, you, you don't want to practice, you don't want to practice your pipes, you know, while you have, uh, while you have the casserole in the oven, you know, it's like, find, yeah, totally. find the totally. I mean, unless the casserole is definitely going to take. Sure. Uh, if it's a 45, 45 minute minutes. bake and you just put it in, then it, that could be a great yeah. time. Yeah. 
But that would be. Then I, I think it would be generally. I think it'd be generally a bad time to, uh, to like make your general practice time is like. Oh, if I have a little bit of spare time while I'm cooking dinner, I can play a couple tunes on the pipes. Like that. That could be cool just for fun. You know, sure. That could be a cool fun thing that you do is you just have the pipes nearby and you're killing time while you're making dinner. So you want to play a couple tunes like that. That could be fun. But for real practice, which we talked about uh, in a recent episode on the podcast, like real practice mm-hmm. is uncomfortable and requires uh, total focus uh, to do it right. Yeah. So planning ahead, something dedicated makes a lot of sense. Though I do like Sean Cunningham is the whistle tutor guy. And he has this this thing that he pushes for where you uh, always have a car whistle, always have a whistle in the car. So you can just pop it out and play whenever you're waiting for something. I love the idea of having yeah. a, a kitchen practice chanter or something like that. Just like it's yeah. on top of the fridge so you can grab it whenever you want to whenever you want to bust through a tune. Um, but I do like this, Andrew. I feel like this is this is insightful where you you mention time spent inside of your dedicated practice space does not score you any points unless it's actually focused and helping you improve. Yes. Yeah. I see that. We in all my know own those life. people. Yeah. We I'm all know one of those, those people, people where where like they just can't ever put the phone down. Mm. You know. Uh, you even yeah. probably know those people at band practice, right? They just can't put the phone down. And <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and I, I definitely, I definitely go through phases where, uh, let's face it, I've become a little too dependent on the old phone, but like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's important. It, and I think that's probably normal and, and probably the way the world is right now. But then eventually you have to tell yourself, bro, it's like, you got to put that phone down and, and just refocus your energies on the things that are important just for a few minutes. But you can't be texting with your wife about, you know, the things on the honey-do list while you're practicing. It's just not going to work. Mm. It's multitasking. You know, we, maybe we, can we do, talked about... Maybe we can do a more in-depth episode on multitasking at some point, but don't, we can't do it. It doesn't actually work. Um, we talked about Bob Ross a little while ago and the joy of painting. And uh, just on, on the same theme of uh, public, public access television in the United States... Um, you remember that absolute banger from Sesame Street when uh, Ernie wanted to learn how to play the saxophone? Put down mm-hmm. the ducky. You got you to put, put down, down the ducky. ducky if you want to learn the saxophone. Mm-hmm. You got to put down the the celly, to put down the t- phone if you want to learn to play the bagpipe, something like yeah. that. I, I use that every time people uh, every time people at the dojo start to insist that digital tuners are good. Uh, I start to I start to bring that song back into circulation around the dojo. Yeah. You know. Mm. Got to put down the tuner if you want to play rock and roll. You know what I mean? Oh, there we go. There we go. Put down the tuner. Nice. Um, so then we hit the record, record, record It's just such an insultingly. The, oh. Yeah. It's, it's just the, the Sesame Street song is just so insultingly like correct, but it just mm. is so insulting because it's a kid's show. Uh, yeah. And Bert is telling you to put down a rubber ducky. And uh, it's just so great. It gets to the yeah. heart of the matter. I love it. Anyway. It really does. Yeah, yeah let's talk about recording. You mentioned that Reed Maxwell, who's the uh, drummer with Simon Fraser, um, once said that he he said, uh, "Focus on the field and enjoy the performance later when you listen back to the recording." And then you also yeah. say that's where improvement lies in listening back objectively. Having read this chapter, I did a session yesterday and I recorded way more than I usually would have and listened back and went, "Oh man, is my bottom hand." out of tune i'm so used to focusing on my top hand because that's usually where the tuning problems are i'd kind of just stopped paying attention to my bottom hand but my b's and my g's were 
nasty. And if I hadn't been listening back, wouldn't have even thought of it. Yeah, that, I think a lot of stuff comes out in the wash and you're able to get perspective. I think when you're playing, uh, first of all, when you're playing, you want to devote all your focus to doing the things that you're trying to do. Okay. Mm. And so, and therefore, the more analysis that you do, the more bandwidth, let's call it, is getting chewed up by analysis and not by focusing on the things that you want to do. I think that was Reed's yeah. point. I, I, I think that's Reed's point. It's like, you don't want to be when you're, when you're competing on the field in a top grade one band and you're trying to win the world, it's like, you don't want to be like thinking about, Oh, I think, I think somebody near me, I think their B is slightly flat. And like, yeah. that's, you don't want to be, or, or I think we, or in the drum corps, maybe, you know, like, I think we, I think one of those roughs was a little bit sloppy or something. It's like, man, you don't want to, you don't want to use your bandwidth to think about that stuff because, that's already happened and it's time to just ensure that no other bad things happen and that lots of good things happen through your mm -hmm. focus and, and, and tending to business the way that you need to do it. Um, and so we don't want to spend that analysis while we're actually performing or practicing. If we can, we want to be allocating our bandwidth to playing the best that we can pl play, but even putting that aside, let's say that analysis was possible. Uh, well, what about the, what about the deep analysis that you want to do? Like we've talked in the past about how rhythm is the foundation of a lot of the different finger work fundamentals that we're going for. So yeah, it's true. You might be able to notice when you play that, you ha that you're having crossing noises, but it's only going to be through some real in-depth analysis, you know, taking the 100,000, 10,000 foot view of what you're actually doing where it might occur to you like, wait a minute the rhythm doesn't seem right either. And I wouldn't be, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if by just taking the rhythm more seriously over the next, you know, couple of practice sessions, if things might, you know, get a little bit cleaner and maybe that's the thing that I'm missing. Um, mm. Or it could be other simple things too. Like, yeah, crossing, you can make your laundry list. You might even notice it while you're in the act of playing, but then maybe listening to the recording, you could just come to some subjective conclusions like, wait a minute. I just need to relax. I'm trying too hard here. Uh, and then by doing so, you know, a lot of these things might, might smooth out a little bit and it'll also put me on the right kind of footing I need to actually be able to move forward and improve this thing. So mm -hmm. anyway, uh, recording is super important. And in my opinion, should be a fixture in your practice room. Um, to the, uh, and then in the book, I say it's to the extent where you should have a dedicated recorder. Um, that that stays in that area that's always primed and ready. I can see mine from right here. It's armed. It's ready. If I wanted to record myself playing my pipes today, I would have one button to press and it would capture. Yeah, beautiful. I don't have yeah. to set. I don't have to open any iPhone apps. I don't have to like install any gear. I don't have to ask my wife to borrow the USB cable because it's not charged. Like you know, the the recorder is always primed and ready in the practice room. Uh, to grab a really nice, high-quality recording that I'm going to enjoy listening back to. Well, I might not enjoy it, Bob, but you know, uh, but the the sound I, uh, quality will be conceptually enjoyable. I, I got I got one of these after talking to you a while ago because I already had I'd saved oh, one of nice. my old phones, which I used to I used to always I always keep my phones in really protective cases so I can resell them to try to get some value into my next phone, you know. But this one time I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to hang on to this one. And initially my motivation was I'm going to put all my social media on this phone 
So then I can turn off social media when I need to and put it in a drawer, you know, and kind of keep the two things separate. Um, I love the idea, but it doesn't quite work. It doesn't. And I I have a highly addictive kind of personality anyway. Like, man, I'm in danger all the time. But uh, now I'm mostly I'm I'm very happy to have it as like a dedicated recording device. That's what I used last night to just just pop that thing into it and hit record. It's very handy. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, so I I think that you're going to take baby steps to get started. And I think that little attachment for the iPhone is is uh, really good. It, I, I like it a lot, but it's also not necessary. I have a friend, my buddy Chris, who is just a really, he's a solid piper. He just became pipe major of the Salt Lake Scots. And he, um, one of the, he, man, he, he's one of these guys who plays for dancers. He can go for hours and hours and he just sounds so solid all the way through. You know, like he'll have a second set of pipes so he can swap them out because he can still go when the instrument's worn out. Um, he would... He's entered during COVID. He did a ton of contests, and he would put his iPhone under some blankets. He just put it on the on the bed and put pillows and blankets on top of it, and then mm-hmm. he could play in the same room, and the audio came through great just from the yeah. built-in mic. So there are things that you, you don't have to spend a bunch of money to be able to record yourself for sure. Yes, although a little bit of money can go a really long way. Uh, hey, that's the well. point of the so, chapter, right? Yes. All right, let's keep going. What else we got? Yeah. Yep. 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 Um. Well, the one other thing that I liked about that section is you did mention that it, it can simulate the nerves of competition or performance mm-hmm. to record yourself. I, I do yes. I, I, I do that all the time, a trick on myself. You know, be like, I'm going to imagine there are a million people watching right now. Can yeah, I play it under pressure? Yeah, we should do an pressure? episode on that too. We should do an episode mm-hmm, on that. For sure. Uh, there's a couple of principles um, that if you adhere to them, uh, the recorder can be a phenomenal tool for dealing with performance anxiety and nerves and and helping to train yourself to produce your best when mm-hmm. you are under pressure. There's a couple of key mm-hmm. principles that that uh, are pretty fun, but that's just a teaser for a future episode. Nice. Um, so then what about metronomes? You mentioned possibly purchasing an app or excuse me, an amp, an amp. Um do you feel like that's the best versus an earpiece that you could use to hear your metronome? Tell me, tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the earpiece is definitely perfectly fine for starting. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the amp is like the amp is the best because if you are recording yourself, it's logistically very difficult to both record your pipes and something that's coming through an earpiece, unless you yeah. want to invest in like, some bizarre multi-tracking technology. And by the way, if like the multi-tracking synchronization ever gets even slightly off, then you're not going to get the results. Um, So the, the amp is just really good to have uh, for the, uh, for playing with the metronome and, and then just a brief timeout to discuss, you know, why we advocate the metronome. It's because the highest ideal you can achieve as a piper is to achieve pure automaton robotic status with your playing with no expression in it at all. You just want it to be perfect. Robot. Like almost for. like artificial <laughs> intelligence was playing. That's what we're going for. Right. No, no, that's not it. Yeah. That's you you know, people attempt, but fail to criticize the dojo method uh, because of our use of metronomes. But what we do with the metronome is we train our, uh, our sense of timing with the metronome. Okay, and it's a really important thing. And, and the metronome is one of the, uh, well, it's the only reliable uh, measuring stick. That's not true, actually, now that I think of it. 
but uh, it's the best consumer grade uh, measurement of how accurate you can be with your timing. And it's a key element of developing really good bagpiping technique. And so when we practice, we want to have that metronome nearby. And it's easy to play with a metronome on the practice chanter, but it's much harder to do on the pipes because the pipes are loud. So we need a loud metronome that we can work with when it's appropriate to be working with the metronome. So, so yeah, we definitely want to have an amp. You can see mine right there. Just plugs right into my phone and I can get to work with the metronome. Have we done an episode Very, on metronomes yet? We should do no, that too. No, we should. We should. And, and one really nice thing about amps is just that they are so ubiquitously all over the place. It's really easy to find used amps. A lot of guitar players. Yeah getting rid of their old gear all the time yeah and you don't need a fancy app to just crank away with metronome sounds so you probably have you know cousin timmy you probably have cousin timmy who thought he wanted to play guitar but doesn't anymore or thought he wanted to play keyboard and, or do, and doesn't anymore and they'll just give you the amp so mm-hmm. you just got to ask around and, and grab one uh and then you know hook your hook your iphone metronome up to it it'll be really good and you know you can use the amp for other stuff too if you uh, if you want to dabble with some guitar or just listen to some bagpipe music in your practice room on on a decent speaker or something like that, you know it's all fair mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Um. So then you uh you bring up the tube style manometer. You can see this mine behind me as well. Andrew, I have I have like a reel of tubing and a bunch of corks in my drawers yeah. over here and. Mm-hmm. I have had them for literally years. I've looked at dojo tutorials and stuff. I still have never put one together and used it. So maybe talk to me a little bit about manometers for any of us who might not know about them and how they work. So you can become, uh, you can become extremely steady and develop a great bagpipe tone without one. Like that's how I learned. I never had a manometer. Um, As a matter of fact, I thought they were cheesy and dumb for a really long time. Uh, and you know, I remember Donald Lindsay would teach with them and I was like, this is, I, I never needed one of these. What do you need a manometer for? But then you start to think about it and there are, you know, some key things about producing good tonal quality that it sure would be nice to be able to see a visual representation of what you're shooting for. Interestingly, it's not so much the steadiness of the blowing that concerns me, but identifying the optimal pressure at which you should play your chanter read. Um, Mm. And it could be really difficult to just sort of explain that to someone and get them to be able to abstract that in their minds. And it's, you know, it's much better to have that visual target. And that's where I really started advocating for manometer use was when it came time to try and illustrate to people, it's like, well, you have a range of possible pressures you can play on your chanter read. Which one's the best? Okay, well, it's the highest possible pressure we can blow before the read starts to behave in unpredictable ways. That's sort of conceptually, theoretically, the best pressure in my experience. And then, so with the manometer, we can identify that. And then we can just sort of practice blowing steadily and making sure that we're you know, somewhere close to that bullseye. Um, and then people can start to develop a really good intuition for sound. Uh, and then with the discovery of mental blowing anomalies, uh, the manometer becomes even more useful. So yeah, highly recommend it. And um, as far as manometers go, we really do prefer the tube over the gauge style manometer just for 
for, for a couple of reasons, but it's just so visually, uh, it's just so visually good for learning. Um, and also it, it tends to give you a sort of, I forget what Carl calls it. I think he calls it like a rolling average of your pressure mm. so that you'll be able to see like the consequences kind of, uh, with a long tail, like over, over the next one or two seconds, you'll see the effects of what your blowing did. The other thing I love about the manometer is if you're re- video recording yourself, you can see the manometer in the video, which mm, is very difficult point. to get with the gauge. So anyway, there's a bunch of examples of why we prefer the tube manometer. But one of the best exercises you could do at all when it comes to bagpipe sound is to hook yourself into a manometer uh, and then turn your back to the manometer and just play. But then mm. when you review the video later, you can, you can get the honest truth about whether or not you're blowing steadily and whether or not you are able to consistently keep things at that ideal pressure for your pipes. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, in spite of not having assembled my manometer, um, personally, I do have like a very clear and vivid memory when I was in high school in, uh, in pipe band and the instructor got out a Peterson 420 strobe tuner. I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. seen one of these before. It looks like a piece of yeah. equipment out of like. I, think I have one over there. Um, you have one. <laughs> um, it, they're a big box, you know. And it, and it, I, I think that this kind of era of technology is so cool. Heavy metal dials and stuff like that, you know. Um, but she maybe would not. park maybe us in front of those. Right. Well, and maybe you have a newer version. You know, this was like school equipment. It was in the band room. It'd probably been there for a long time. But um, she'd park us in front of that one person at a time. And for one entire class period, our job was just to play one note <laughs> and keep it steady. And so it was like mm-hmm. an hour and 20 minutes that I was standing there just trying to stay, just trying to keep those strobes from from spinning. And uh, does it stand out in my mind because it was ter- terrible torture or because it had a positive effect on my playing? Maybe both. <laughs> but Yeah, uh, so the, the uh, difficult thing with that, so the tuner method is something that you hear about. You just have to be really careful there. There's a lot of confounding variables uh, that can come into play using a tuner as opposed to a manometer. So I would just mm. advise caution. I would advise caution there. For example, the pitch well, of your chantry is, way... is going to, yeah. yeah, the pitch of your chantry is going to change considerably over time as you play. And so uh, insofar as being able to identify and hold something at the sweet spot, the tuner is probably not going to be able to provide that for you unless there's some sort of programmatic thing I'm not aware of. But, you know, what we're really concerned with is internal bag pressure and not with pitch uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to producing a good bagpipe tone. So, but anyway, but yeah, it is, it's, it's a useful, fun thing to do, whether it's a tuner or a tube or a gauge, you know, just, just becoming aware of your control or lack thereof of the air pressure inside the bag is, uh, is pretty cool. Tube yeah. manometer is best now- overall. And certainly, if nothing else, in in terms of like cost to to get it and put it together, like that's pretty pretty. You know, one trip at the, to the hardware store and not much money. You're you're all set. Um, the gauges are really the gauges are really easy too. Um, they're just not that useful for what I want to see. In just that's my opinion. Yeah, I also have an old medical gauge that again I've never set up. I've had it for years, intending you know at some point to do so. Um, what about mirrors? You bring up uh, using a mirror to look at yourself while you play. Not something I enjoy doing personally, but <laughs> why do you think it's good? Tell me about it. 
I enjoy it a lot. I don't know. I, I, I just love looking maybe, at myself. Maybe if I were a little better looking, uh, but uh, it's, it's just like listening to myself yeah, in these exact podcasts. Not everybody you know, I don't like hearing this. my own voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I don't love seeing myself, but. Um, well, I love it. That's what counts, Jim. That's what keeps <laughs> yeah. me showing up on Tuesday mornings. So uh, let's see. Uh, mirrors. Yeah, just uh, being aware of how you look when you play is super valuable. Um, mm. And uh yeah highly recommend it you could record yourself and that's okay but i just love having that instant mirror feedback you know i can keep an eye on my posture i can make sure you know uh one of the things that i regularly notice uh is whether or not my drones are just resting on my shoulder nicely and they're not moving around all funny like you know i remember Mm -hmm. last year i was looking at the mirror and i was like wait a minute bro like your drones are moving you look like you're not in control over the instrument and, uh, and surely the drones moving around like that isn't ideal. So I made a couple of changes. I, I changed the drone cords a little bit closer together, nothing crazy, mm-hmm. but maybe they're a little bit far apart. Um, and, um, just looked at a couple of posture things and then I was able to correct that so that I'm a little bit happier with how I look, but yeah, just keep the mirror there. I think it's really good. Not a deal breaker no. if you don't have one, but you you want to keep an eye on your posture and and you can get a nice you can get a nice like full body length size mirror from Walmart for like twelve dollars. Yeah, yeah, can be had for cheap. Um, and that's kind of the theme of this whole thing is this is stuff that you ought to want or need, and also here are affordable ways to get them. Um, now, what about how old were you when you first started playing, Andrew? So that was around eight. You're around eight. Um, so you mentioned here that by the time you were 12 and went to an audiologist, audiologist, uh, you'd already had some measurable hearing loss, which is, it's just, it's just, yeah, (laughs) it's distressing for any of us who love music, you know, how many of us would give up a lot of other senses before we'd give up our sense of hearing. And yet the music that we're playing is killing our sense of hearing. I know. For so sure. you say it doesn't really it's matter like what hearing still, protection you use, use something. Go ahead. It's like people who smoke. It's like, wait, what? I love you know? to breathe. Uh, so I breathe through this stick, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bagpipes, um, it's the, like, wait, the cigarettes really? of music. <laughs> you could forgive, like, I mean, I, I could forgive, forgive isn't the right word, but I can understand the thought process of smoking if you like really love cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And it's like the thing you love the most. And so you're, you know, you're willing to sacrifice certain areas of health because you love cigarettes so much. But then like, you know, uh, that's not the impression I get with smokers. Mm. But anyway, it seems like an extreme analogy. But then you you watch pipers who are just like, oh, yeah, earplugs. Ugh, I don't want to play with earplugs. That's just stupid. It's like, what? Mm. Just put earplugs in. Uh, you could spend well under a hundred dollars to get like professional grade hearing protection that uh, really makes it so that the quality of the sound is not affected at all of what you're hearing around you. Right. It's just, you know, you know, those ones, they, they fit to your ear beautifully and they've got those little Mm -hmm. filters. You can pick whatever filter you want. They're great. They're fantastic. I mean, right here, I just use, because I can't have nice things. I just use foam earplugs. You know, uh, you just pop them in your ears pop them in your ears. They uh, dampen the sound. They make it sound all warm and nice and wonderful. And that's what I use. 
Just do that. I was uh, teaching a kid's band recently and I was shocked that like two out of the 25 kids in the band playing at band practice were wearing ear- hearing protection. Mm-hmm. It's bananas. Well, you know, you gotta be, when you're you gotta young, be you're joking. Invincible. Yeah. I never did. I, it I don't wasn't think that's what I, it is. I mean, I became an old man before I started using hearing protection. It's like not until I had lost some hearing. I have significant, well, it was partly because of a sickness I once had, but I have pretty significant hearing loss in my right ear. And realizing like I'm almost down to one ear. I'm like at one and a half years right now. That was when I finally started using it. Um, and right. it's amazing to me too, Andrew, that like I've I've spent decades now professionally in the fields of like loss prevention and safety management. And if I walk into a, an auto shop or a, a factory or onto a job site, hearing protection is a pretty big deal. I see, you know, pneumatic drills come up in your chapter. There better be some hearing protection, you know. And yet, and yet I was playing my bagpipes, which are louder than pneumatic drills with no hearing protection at all. You know, yeah. if I'd seen that well, on a job and, site, it would have been a red flag right away. And again, um, and drums are way worse. So the snare oh, drummers man, yeah. snares, who ironically yeah. wear hearing protection far less often than even pipers do. Uh, mm. Man, it's just uh, it's just bonkers. You know, <laughs> you know, it's not just made up, right? This is not a conspiracy yeah. from the foam earplug industry, because after you play your pipes <laughs> for a while without hearing protection, you hear the tinnitus, right? That ringing totally. in your ears is the cochlear hairs in your ear uh, dealing with actual injury, right? Mm-hmm. And those hairs don't grow back, right? Like. Once you lose them, they're gone, which is actually fascinating. Like, you know, the increasing, I sometimes wonder if the increasing pitch of bagpipes over the years is not due to widespread (laughs) hearing loss, but I wonder if it covers up the effects, right? I wonder if the fact that the pitch does change covers up the, uh, the damaging effects of all the hearing loss pipers have had because, uh, because I bet you if it stayed the same, always, you would get to the point where you literally could not hear certain key harmonics. That is uh, a very interesting point. And, and it also makes yeah. me think maybe the, maybe the poor snare drummers, like if they've been drumming for any significant amount of time, have just lost so much hearing that at this point to use hearing protection would make it so they couldn't hear their drum at all. <laughs> so now they have to, mm-hmm. well, they have to just I doubt that. Leave it but, out there. Um, but also, you know, so snare drumming is not, snare drumming is like what you would call a broadband sound, right? So, mm. so the snare drum is producing, it's not any specific frequency that a snare drum produces. Uh, it's, it's just a wide range of basically all the available frequencies. It's like bright white light kind of, you know, there's yeah. all the frequencies are there at once. And so like the, that detail work as far as like the fine pitches and stuff probably isn't quite as urgent uh, but mm. for the pipes, it definitely is, right? Your ability mm. to hear those high-level harmonics, uh, that's a big part of being a, a, a good bagpiper. So you got to be able to line all those up. You can't line them up if you physically can't hear them. So, yeah, it just gets weird. Just wear hearing protection. Yeah. So, do, do, you fi- do you find that with hearing protection in, you can better pick out, you know, like what you're listening for to tune, mm-hmm. et cetera? Yes, because I I do. That is one of the hurdles, I think, for a lot of us. If we've been playing for a while without hearing protection, when we first put it in, we sound different to ourselves. And so then it's like, wait, I can't tell if I'm in tune or not. And we just have to kind of relearn that. Right. 
Yep. Uh, exactly. And it takes, it does take a shockingly long time to get used to the new sound when you wear hearing protection. Mm. Like it, you, it might be like a whole practice session and maybe another half practice session before you're used to it. So mm. that's really long. You guys just a practice session and a half. It's, man, it's just but it, but career altering. Your, I know it's what, like, what you might call your, your, the, your playable lifetime. It could extend that if it saves your hearing. So worth it, yeah. worth that whole, that whole session and a half. I don't know. Um, Call me crazy. Call me crazy, but I want to I want to preserve all of my set senses as well as reasonably possible. And all you have yeah. to do as a bagpiper to do that is just find hearing protection that you can tolerate and stick them in your ears when you play. Mm. Um, now, gathering essential maintenance items. Do you want to run through the list or should we just tell people to buy the book? Uh, well, you, you could buy the book, but I mean, yeah, we can go through the list. The maintenance items are the, the list of maintenance items that you need is not a long list. Not terribly long. One, two, three, four. We got five bullet points. That, I mean, let's see. I, I don't have the book open. Let me see if I can remember yeah. it. You need uh, in my maintenance kit, I need hemp. Mm -hmm. Just trying to think. Like, I, I, so, so there's two types of maintenance kits. There's like, there's what you actually need on you. And then there's what you right. need in your pipe case, not yep. too far away. And what you actually need on you, man, you could do, man, you could do most of what you need with just a roll of hemp. Can't you? Yeah, Especially if you know how to thing. break hemp without needing a knife. Yeah. For so, me, hemp and tape. Those so are the a two knife would be helpful. Me. Yeah. But see now chanter tape, I don't know if we've discussed this before, but I don't carry that around with me. I just have what I need on the chanter at all times, right? Like there's always right, a piece yeah. of tape above every hole for me when I play so that I don't have to worry about it. Just trying to think. I need all three of my digital tuners. Mm -hmm. No, we don't even need that. Uh, let's see. What do we need? What do we need? I think hemp is basically it. Yeah. Did um, I miss any? For the, for the take it with you, you have um, – Ah, uh, you do mention, you do actually mention tape, um, though, I, you know, you could take that with you on the chanter as you, as you suggest. Um, and then the one other thing is, uh, if you've got a hide bag, it might be a good idea to have a drumstick or something with some tie-in cord on it, just in case of a, yep. you know, an unexpected blowout kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So I think the book complicates it, even though it's so simple in the book, it complicates it probably more than we need to. I mean, you really just need a roll of hemp. I don't carry a knife around all the time. You know, it gets weird as a, once you're a bagpiper that goes on airplanes on a regular basis, I mm. kind of like do most of what I can without ever bringing the knife with me if I can avoid it. Um, Cause <laughs> one time I got caught at Kansas city with a giant knife trying to go through security. You know, uh, mm -hmm. it was, it was this giant knife and it had just got caught in the lining of the pipe case and, and like the guy was looking at me and I was like, I swear it was an accident. And he like threw it out. <laughs> That's not mine. Can and he was like, you know, well, <laughs> usually we have to report this. And I was like, Jesus, it was bad. Anyway, I digress. Um, so yeah. And then corks are good to have around, but that's more of a practice room thing. Typically out of right. performance, you're not going to need corks, but but in the practice room, the corks are handy for things such as testing the air tightness of your bag and um, 
so on and so forth. And maybe like working on the blow trick with just one drone going, you could use two drone corks. Those could come in handy. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, digital hygrometer is big uh, for me. I always have, like, I just have a bunch of them lying around. A hygrometer just tells you temperature and humidity of where you are. Uh, you, you probably can't see it, but there's one right here. And then there's one over there on the wall. And then there, I've got a bunch just kind of in various pipe cases and stuff too. Just That's just data that I would like to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, you don't want to go too far without uh, some tie-in string in the rare event of a uh, joint blowout for a high bag. And then you also want, whenever you travel anywhere, you, will, you want it for a few days, you want to make sure you have seasoning with you. You don't need to bring seasoning to the gig, right? Mm-hmm. But if you go away for a week, you, need, you want to have a can of seasoning with you. But that's basically it. Yeah. Perfect. And then um, we hit this section where it's this, uh, how to set up your bagpipe. Um, so you say oft, more often than not, uh, students or beginners might have a bagpipe setup that is radically too complex. And uh, this creates uh, many more problems for them than it solves. Uh, So you open up by saying like, um, avoid or remove these things. And the first two on there, a water trap and tone enhancers are things that were in my bagpipes when I got them. And I did lose the water trap pretty quickly, mostly because it was a simple tube one and it got kind of moldy and gross. And I was like, what the heck? I'm just going to just toss it out. I think I've mentioned to you before, Andrew, it took me like 15 plus years to finally take my tone enhancers out of my drone stocks. Mm-hmm. They're out now. It's actually kind of I'm a fun now, but it's a fun man on the street game to play. Um, mm-hmm. It's just when you're at the Highland games, um, maybe not your local Highland games, cause you'd be spotted. But uh, if you go to just a miscellaneous Highland games where no one really knows who you are, it's always fun to go to the, um, to the bagpipe merchant's table and tell them that you're ready to buy a set of bagpipes and see what they try to sell you. I mean, mm. it's, it's, uh, it comes right in from the beginning. They try to sell you the tone enhancers, the moisture control system, the top of the line Ross canister bag, um, and all the imaginable gadgets. I mean, the, you know, a merchant is sort of incentivized to do that. It's one of not, the, it's not the main reason, but it's one of the reasons we're not in the supplies business anymore. Um, it's just because it's not, a, I don't want to be incentivized to like sell people stuff that they don't actually need. And it's tough when, you know, as a bagpipe merchant, the person is asking for, you, uh, you know, gadget one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven, plus the new fancy digital tuner. It's like, I don't believe that's in their best interest, but then you sell it to them anyway, you know, because that's what they say that they want, but it's, it's kind of incongruent. Right. But yeah, we want to use the simplest possible tools that we can to learn the basics of the instrument. It might surprise you to know it might not, it might not surprise you, but it might surprise you to know that right now, you know, as I play and prepare for the world pipe band championships playing in grade one, I mean, right now I have a bag and that's it. I don't play with a water trap or anything. Uh, I put a water trap in, you know, a few days before I head off to Scotland, just because in the band we play tubes. Uh, and that's just what everybody does. So I do it, but um, certainly in North America, and I would love to dabble with it a little bit in Scotland to, to see, you know, 
where the error of my ways lies because it probably does because everybody there that I know plays a tube. But uh, it would be fun to try without. But uh, yeah, what do you need a water trap for? What's a water yeah. trap even do? Well, and uh, speaking topic of for another re- to- topic for another podcast. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Are we all born wet or dry blowers? Is there any way to get get free of it? Though regionally, where I live, you just about want to squirt water into your bag sometimes, and so doubly doubly so i have a hard time imagining why i'd want to <laughs> have a water trap in there but uh okay um too long in this condition the 10 years rule let me tell you yes. where i'm already in violation here you say it's okay for our for our sticks and stocks to be old okay cool the bag Ish. right here yeah. this bag right here this bag i've had this bag i've had this bag for 20 years and it was used when I got it. Right. Sh- shout out to Ganaway for making a solid product. But um, should I keep using it till it leaks or should I already be worried about it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, hmm, pipe bags are pipe bags are not like the thing that we're super concerned about here, especially for beginners and intermediates. I mean, if the pipe bag holds air really, really well, um, then typically we're probably okay with that, at least for starters. You know, mm-hmm. uh, a bag that's super old might not handle moisture well, and it might just get super waterlogged sort of like quickly and easily and not, you know, and just not handle moisture that well. And in which case, I would say it's probably time for a switch pretty soon. Um, mm. And the same goes with synthetic bags. If they're holding air, you're fine, at least for now. Uh, I think mm-hmm. where the 10 years rule comes in, uh, and we would, I would even go with a five years rule for some things as well, like drone reads. <clears throat> um, if you're playing something that was, and the, the basic principle, it's, and it's, it's just a guiding principle. It's not a dogmatic thing here, but a, a guiding principle is if you're in the process, process of learning the bagpipes and learning the basics, we want to be playing on relatively recent equipment. Mm-hmm. That's the basic principle, right? So like 10 years is a good basic guideline. So the, the chanter that you're playing, right? As many of us know, chanters have changed a lot over the years. Yeah. And they, and they continue to change year after year. So if you're playing a, a bagpipe chanter that's older than 10 years, you might be experiencing problems not due to you, but just due to the fact that that chanter is kind of outdated. Modern, a modern reed made in 2023 might have a hard time sounding good in any chanter made in 2003. And again, that might not be true. And expert bagpipers, they might still be playing that chanter that they got in 1987 because that's how they get their hallmark sound. But I'm just talking about generally speaking, for beginners, we want to be on relatively modern equipment just so that we can rule uh, outdated equipment. We can rule that out when it comes to troubleshooting problems. That's the main reason. Um, yeah. And then even the sticks, you know, even the sticks, maybe 10, 10 is probably aggressive, but if the, if the drones are older than 30 or 40 years, it might be something to consider to get a more modern set, at least for the learning process, you know, the legacy drones and the, and the really awesome sounding drones from longer ago, they might indeed be awesome, but they might just need a little bit more experience to really get those puppies purring. Yeah, this can yeah. be one of the tricky things of getting started if 
if you get started on a used set that you inherited from a family member or neighbor or friend, or if you get a used set, uh, you know, uh, cheap yeah. on a classifieds page or something, it probably yes. there's value in preserving that set, but maybe you need to be a slightly more experienced piper to know how to handle that set. And it could become an obstacle for your learning. So that's, that is a challenge. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then one list to so, rule them you know, all, you kind of, the oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, uh, if you're in that position where you're kind of using a hand-me-down set that's really old or whatever, it's just something you want to put on your radar. You know, maybe, yeah, just maybe be aware of these it. pipes are, yeah, maybe these pipes are something that I want to come back to and maybe I could even borrow a more recent set from somebody, you know, uh, just to maybe test that theory. Like, and then suddenly you realize, oh, it's way easier to tune my drones with these. And that right. just might be because it might just be because the it's more modern equipment that's sort of more ready to do the task right now. Um, and those other pipes might sound amazing, but it's going to require like, I don't know, mixture of tenor and bass drone and, you know, mm -hmm. different mm -hmm. type of bag and more, more command over the absolute steadiness of the instrument or something like that. Well, and I can imagine it being a not uncommon situation where a new piper might be living in a place where the pipe band that they're trying to play with is perhaps, you know, run by people who are also relatively new or inexperienced pipers themselves. And so then when, when they're all together trying to get their pipes to play nice together, they might not realize, oh, wait a minute, Bill's chanter is from 1987 and Frank's is from, you know, 2003 and then Sally's, you know, is is even older, you know, and maybe not realizing that that inherently is going to make it difficult, if not impossible yes. to get these pipes to play together. Absolutely. That. 100%. Um, so you kind of wrap it up with, with a, a, a re a rehashing of the list. You kind of just give us like, here's the rundown of the, the bare essentials that you ought to either have or be looking to get as soon as you can. Um, and that's, that's kind of it. That's our shopping day. That's, uh, our retail therapy uh, uh, section of the yep. book right there. Yeah. It's kind of like anti-therapy, but it can be a big relief to just whittle things down to what you actually need and then oh, yeah. to get after it. You know, yeah. uh, simple tools is great. Like there's, we want to eliminate all these fancy gadgets and complicating factors uh, because then it's just us, you know? And if, mm -hmm. if there's a problem, you want to know, Carl always says this, you know, if there's a problem, you want to know that it's you and that it's not some aspect of your gear that's very difficult to track down. You want to know that it's you. When I play a bagpipe, that's just a blowpipe and a bag of some kind and easy drone reads and relatively modern drones, whatever, right? When I fire up that bagpipe and I either manage to get it sounding good or I don't, I know that it's because of me. Uh, that mm -hmm. that's happening and not because of not uh, because of some weird vacuum cleaner kitty litter thing inside my pipes. Right. which by the way I, i'm not i saw this on a previous episode i'm not a moisture control hater okay but that stuff is a complicated business and when, and bagpipes are complicated enough complex might be a better word bagpipes are complex enough without more stuff added in right so we got to mm -hmm. get we got to get uh, comfortable with the basic complexities of the instrument before we get into the complex complexities mm. for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, that just seems obvious. 
Uh, yeah. You know, the, the go-to analogy for me is if you were going to learn to fly an airplane, would you prefer to learn on a, you know, Boeing Dreamliner or a basic Cessna? Like which plane would you prefer right. to learn the basics on? And I don't think you need to know anything about planes to know the answer. Mm-hmm. Right. And then as you, uh, as you, as your general skill and knowledge and experience increases, then you can fly uh, airplanes that contain more and more complexity, uh, you know, as that complexity is actually needed. I think the complexity of the Dreamliner is probably there to just ensure the absolute maximum safety for all the passengers probably. And, you know, and to deal with all sorts of contingencies that you might run into. But when you're beginning, you don't need to worry about that stuff yet. So, so these the gadgets, these moisture control systems and stuff like that, it's not no, never. It's just not right away. Start with your plain vanilla ice cream and add sprinkles later to use yet right. another analogy, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Understand, understand why you need it before you put it in. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you think you need it because you're, otherwise your drone reads are going to get wet. Right. That's the, that's the exact reason I want you not to do it yet because there are all sorts of common sense ways we need to learn to deal with moisture as bagpipers before, uh, before we go to that extreme. Hey everybody, Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo. And I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.